Hello, welcome to Elation Space, a mental health podcast, and I am your host, Camila. It's been long, it's been a while, and I have missed producing these episodes, just talking about anything to everything about mental health. And today, I'm going to have a very... <laughs> I, um, this topic of today is actually... I borrowed it from this certain story that was on the news recently. Not recently, really. A while back. I did create um, this episode like some months back. But today is when I'm really producing it with the voice. But I had written, jotted down some research and everything some months back. So kindly pardon me because it may look a bit old. But it's really timeless, the entire idea is just the reason that made me put it down <laughs> was from some news that happened some months back. So for those who have lived in Kenya or who are living in Kenya, I don't know if you stumbled upon the news of Willie Kimani, the lawyer who was killed, and there were some police officers who were actually involved. So the case um, in the court, well, it was being heard. Apparently, the people who were involved in the death of Filikimani and his driver were some police officers. And the police officers were saying that apparently they had received some orders to do that. Imagine, how can you receive orders to kill someone? You're holding a public office, mind you. You, as a policeman, is supposed to protect the nationals or the citizens of Kenya. You are killing a citizen and you're saying you're following orders. Really? Really? Okay, I was so shook. But then again, this brought up the whole entire idea of the Nuremberg defense. Yes, so today we are going to talk about the Nuremberg defense. So if this is your first time to even hear this time, this time, do not worry, I will explain everything. And the reason where this term originated from, has it been applicable in today's life? Or what are some of the most famous cases where people use the Nuremberg defense? So sit tight, buckle up and let us get started. So welcome to our 26th episode. Imagine, <laughs> I'm happy, not that happy, but at least we are this far. I need to be producing this episode more often. So now I was thinking I'll be producing at least twice a month. Yeah, because <laughs> a lot of things are happening. And let me give myself that laxity of producing twice a month. Because of producing weekly, I don't think I'll manage. Honestly, I don't think I will. So forgive me for that. But... Yeah, if you have any ideas or any talks you want me to cover, kindly you let me know. I'll share my contact information at the end of the episode. So let's get started to the Nuremberg defense. What is this? So the Nuremberg defense, actually, before I even tell you what Nuremberg defense is, Nuremberg is actually a town in Germany. Yes, you know, like Frankfurt. <laughs> so there is a town in Germany called Nuremberg. And this is where the whole idea came from, you know. So the Nuremberg defense, also known as the superior order defense, is a legal argument that has been used in various trials throughout history to excuse individuals who have committed crimes on the basis that they were following the orders of their superiors. The term is most commonly associated with the trials of Nazi war criminals following World War II where numerous high-ranking officials sought to absolve themselves of responsibility for atrocities such as the Holocaust, 
by claiming that they were merely following orders. Nuremberg, Germany, and widely publicized watch around the world during the Nuremberg defense, like this entire trials, the Nuremberg trials. Now, during the Nuremberg trials, many of the defendants attempted to use the Nuremberg defense to justify their actions. They claimed that they were merely following orders from their superiors and so they should not be, <laughs> they are not responsible. Really? Really? Okay, now, before I move further about this case of the Nuremberg trials, let let me take you back, a little bit back, to explain to you how the Nuremberg defense applies and especially how the International Criminal Court defines it in-depthly. What is this according to the International Criminal Court? Now, on 17th July 1998, the statute of the International Criminal Court, that is ICC, which is in Hague, by the way, in Netherlands, was adapted in Rome, nestled in Part 3, which states the general principles of criminal law was Article 33, entitled Superior Orders and Prescription of Law. Now, Article 33 reads, 1. The fact that a crime within the jurisdiction of the court has been committed by a person pursuant to an order of a government or of a superior, whether military or civilian, shall not relieve that person of criminal responsibility. Unless, now before I go to the unless, let me repeat this again. According to Article 33 of the International Criminal Court, it states, the fact that a crime within the jurisdiction of the court has been committed by a person pursuant to an order of a government or a superior, whether military or civilian, shall not relieve that person of criminal responsibility unless, one, the person was under a legal obligation to obey orders of the government or the superior in question, two, the person did not know that the order was unlawful, and three, the order was not manifestly unlawful. So there are three options here that may make you not responsible for the Nuremberg defense. Okay, if this was not clear, this is a podcast. You can just go back and listen to the audio again to just get it clearly. Now. Therefore, orders to commit genocide or crimes against humanity are manifested unlawful. So you cannot use the Nuremberg defense. You cannot because that was unlawful. It has been argued by some that this is a dangerous withdrawal from the standards contained in the Charter of the International Military Tribunal, IMT, at Nuremberg, and followed in the statutes of the ad hoc tribunals for former Yugoslavia and Rwanda. If you guys remember, actually, Rwanda had a genocide too back in the 1990s. Now, the following commentary will argue that, far from being a withdrawal, this reflects both the traditional understanding of the law is entirely consistent with the intentions of drafters of the Nuremberg Charter. Now, this was just an introduction, more of just explaining to you how the Nuremberg defense applies in relation to the International Criminal Court. Now, let's go ahead and I'm going to take you back again uh, 
to where it all started, Nuremberg, Germany, during the Nuremberg trials, the Nuremberg defense was done during was used during the Nuremberg trials after the World War II, as I mentioned earlier. The trials were held between 1945 and 1946 in Nuremberg, Germany, and were conducted by the International Military Tribunal, IMT, which was established to prosecute major war criminals of the European Axis powers. The Nuremberg defense argument goes as follows. I was only following orders, so I cannot be held responsible for my action. Again, as I had already explained how the Nuremberg defense cannot be used in certain circumstances, according to the ACC, this is not always applicable. This or follow, I was just following orders. No, no, no. If you are following orders and whatever that was being done was unlawful, you will be arrested and you'll be charged for your mistakes. Even if you're following orders, if it was unlawful, unless that person, your superior, had a gun on your head and said you do it or you die, that's a different case. But nobody was holding a gun over your head and you're doing it unlawful, like genocide, killing, holocaust. No, 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 no. That's that's not applicable, bruh. Mm-mm. Doesn't make sense. Okay? So this defense, the Nuremberg defense, was widely recognized as the most infamous defense in the history of international criminal law. The idea behind the defense was the soldiers, as members of a military organization, this is during the Nazi period, were required to follow orders from their superiors and were not free to refuse. In other words, they were simply carrying out their duties as soldiers. This defense was put forth by many of the accused at the Nuremberg trials, including high-ranking officials such as Hermann Goring, who was the former commander-in-chief of the Luftwaffe and one of the Hitler's closest advisors. However, the MIT, the IMT, which is the International Military Tribunal, rejected the Nuremberg defense during the Nuremberg trial as a valid defense for their war crimes and crimes against humanity that the accused had committed. The tribunal held that the defense was no excuse for violating international law, including the Geneva Convictions and the principle of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. The IMT declared that an individual, even if acting under orders, was responsible for the actions they took and could not escape responsibility for their actions by claiming that they were following orders. The IMT rejection of the Nuremberg defense was based on several key principles of international criminal law. Firstly, the IMT held that individuals were responsible for their own actions, regardless of whether they were following orders or not. This principle is known as individual criminal responsibility and is now widely recognized as the cornerstone of international criminal law. Secondly, the IMT held that superior orders could not be used as a defense if they were manifestly illegal or immoral. This meant that individuals were not only responsible for their own actions, but also for ensuring that they did not carry out illegal or immoral orders. The IMT rejection of the Nuremberg defense was a landmark decision in the history of international criminal law, 
it marked a significant shift away from the ideas that soldiers were simply following orders and towards the principle of individual criminal responsibility. This decision was a crucial step in the development of international criminal law, criminal law and helped to establish the principles that individuals, regardless of position, rank, were accountable for their actions and cannot escape responsibility by claiming that they were only following orders. In the years since the Nuremberg trials, the principle of individual criminal responsibility has been further developed and codified in international treaties and conventions, such as the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. The Rome Statute, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm pronouncing it right, <laughs> if not, pardon me, but the Rome Statute makes clear that individuals can be held responsible for war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide, regardless of whether they are following orders or not. The statute also establishes that superior orders can be used as a defense only if they were not manifestly illegal or immoral. The rejection of the Nuremberg, yeah. So yeah, I guess that's it on the matters of the Nuremberg trials. So if you are going to commit something and you're going to use, oh, I was following orders for my superior and whatever you're doing was illegal or immoral, you are taking the cross by yourself. You'll carry your own cross. Don't point fingers to your supervisor. Your supervisor tells you to kill and you kill and you know that's illegal. That, that Nuremberg defense will help you. Okay, now you might wonder, has this really happened in real life? Yes, it has. Many people have used Nuremberg defense. <laughs> uh, like the example I had explained what happened here in Kenya with the Willis-Kimani case and the police who were actually um, spiraled into this case, them using the defense of, oh, they were following the orders. No, no, no. Actually, the police, I'm not sure if they were arrested. They're supposed to be arrested. But again, this is Kenya for you. So I'm not sure what happened. But yes, that's what happened. So now let me talk about some global real-life applications of the Nuremberg defense away from home, that is away from Kenya. Now, the Nuremberg defense has been invoked in several high-profile cases in recent years, including the trials of former leaders of Bosnia and Herzegovina, Liberia, and Iraq. In each of these cases, the accused attempted to use the defense, the Nuremberg defense, as a means of avoiding responsibility for their actions, arguing that they were simply following orders or carrying out the policies of their government. However, in each case, the defense was rejected and the accused were held responsible for their action. One of the most notable examples of the Nuremberg defense being invoked was during the trial of the Liberian president, Charles Taylor. Taylor was charged with war crimes and crimes against humanity, including murder, rape, and enslavement, in connection with the conflict in Sierra Leone. During his trial, Taylor argued that he was simply following orders, but the special court for Sierra Leone rejected this defense, finding him guilty on all 11 counts. Similarly, in the trial of former Bosnian sub-leader Radovan Karadzic, 
Ama ya. <laughs> the day pronounce it right. The Bosnian leader. Radovan Karadzic. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I hope so. I pronounced it right. So the accused argued that he was simply following orders and that his actions were carried out as part of a larger government plan. However, the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia rejected this defense. Finding Karadzic guilty of war crimes and crime against humanity, including the genocide of Bosnian Muslim civilians in the town of Srebrenica. The Nuremberg defense has also been invoked in the trials of former leaders of Iraq, including Saddam Hussein. You all know what happened with Saddam Hussein. If you do not know, go and search about it. Now, during his trial, Hussein argued that he was simply carrying out the policies of his government, but the Iraqi Special Tribunal rejected this defense, finding him guilty of crimes against humanity and sentencing him to death. Yeah, yeah, he was sentenced. It's really weird. Not talking about Iraqi. Iraqi, <laughs> oh boy, Iraqi has, uh, it's the way they solve their cases is very funny. I think it's very different from what I expect or because the country I'm from. I have read the book by um, Halid Husseini. I don't know if you know Halid Husseini. He's an author who has written a number of books like The Kite Runner, um, which other book, A Thousand Splendid Sons and The Mountains Acord. I think it was in, was it a, the A Thousand Splendid Sons? Or, yeah, I think it's A Thousand Splendid Sons. Where Halid Hussein, at the end of the book, we realized the woman, one of the women, was actually, um, was, she was actually killed. And during the trial, they were saying, it's not upon us to judge you, so what you're going to do, I'm just going to kill you so that God can judge you ahead. Like, it's so crazy. Like, how, I don't know, I don't know if they still apply that today. I'm not sure. I hope they don't. I, anyway, I think I, we are of different school of thoughts. If somebody has, has committed any, 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 any mistake, or has committed any crime. I don't think you should kill them unless very necessary. And that's why even the death sentence has been um abolished in many countries. I believe so. Like, let them just uh, serve their term. Even if it's you jail them for a thousand years. Of course, they won't make it to a thousand years in jail. But rather than killing someone, I don't think if it's, it's supposed to be upon us, for us human beings to kill others, especially willingly or under the rule of law, I don't think that is fair. I feel it only God can give life, then it's only God who can take life. We human beings can just judge you, jail you, imprison you, and that's that's it for us. Anyway, maybe I'm from a different school of thought, so that might be different in other countries, of course. So yes, Saddam Hussein was actually sentenced to death. These cases demonstrate the ongoing relevance of the Nuremberg defense and the principle of individual criminal responsibility established during the Nuremberg trials. The rejection of the Nuremberg defense in these cases sends a clear message that individuals cannot escape responsibility for their action by claiming that they were simply following orders or carrying out the policies of their government.
this principle of individual criminal responsibility is essential for promoting accountability and ensuring that individuals who commit heinous crimes are held responsible for their action. Yeah, so actually, <laughs> that's pretty it. Like, that's the most important part of what I wanted to talk about today. Yes. And yeah, that's all about the Nuremberg defense and how, just in conclusion, how this time will always be associated, of course, the Nuremberg defense will always be associated with the Nuremberg trials after the World War II and its rejection by the International Military Tribunal. Its rejection, again, was a landmark of decision oh, in the history of international criminal law. It's really meant a lot to just let those people face their consequences, the consequences of their action. You know how many people were killed during the Holocaust and you don't want to meet the consequences of your action because, oh, you are told by Adolf Hitler to kill these people. Please. And I don't know if it's just me. I have seen some movies where they were depicting what happened during the Nazi period and the Holocaust. And we'll see, like, the Nazi, like, Adolf Hitler had, like, yo, he's... What will I say? Those people who are supporting him were like maniacs. Those guys were fanatics of Adolf. Like they will do anything up and down to just kill the Jews. And how I don't know how the table stand when now um Adolf I don't know killed himself. I know these people are facing the law. They are now saying, Oh, it was not us, oh, we are being told it was superior orders, oh. Please just face the consequences of your action. Face the music for what you did. And yes, they did finally, which was at least was a happy ending. Not really happy ending because we lost a lot of souls. But at least a little bit, at least we know those people never did in vain. These people, the perpetrators, finally were convicted and I don't know how were they in prison or also sentenced to death. I'm not sure. But they faced justice. So that's at least a, a little bit of a happy ending in there. So that's all we have today for the Nuremberg defense. Do you love? Did you understand? Did you learn something from today's episode? If you did, let me know. And if you have a topic that you think would be good for me to discuss about or something that you want to learn more, kindly shoot us an email at electionspace at gmail.com or DM us on our social media handles that is on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at electionspace. You can also find our blog. We are talking a lot about mental health. You'll find a lot of mental health resources, which is electionspace.hope.blog. Yes, yes, yes. So that brings us to the end of this episode. I can't wait to meet you next time. I am Camila again, and this is a podcast by Election Space. Have a good and wonderful day from wherever you are. Goodbye.